don't have to wait for me to begin to meditate, even though I'll start the meditation in a second. Please begin by finding your body. Oh, I should say good evening. I'm Eugene Cash. This is the Sunday evening meeting of San Francisco Insight. If this is the first time you're here, I'm just kind of used to doing this after 28 years. Um, uh, so yeah, and we'll have a, a, a sit for about a half an hour and then a talk for about a half an hour and then uh, discussion, questions, comments. Um, so please, uh, let's begin the meditation by uh, beginning with our posture, sitting upright as best as possible, sitting on your sits bones so that there's an uprightness from the base of the spine all the way through the back of the neck. to begin to be mindful of the body by setting up this posture, by being upright and being relaxed. And letting the awareness saturate your body, feeling, sensing, being aware of this aliveness that is sitting here that we generally call me or whatever your name is, Brian, Anne, Happy, Diego, Isabel, Dan, Johnny, Sarah, feel the liveness. Be aware of the living reality that is sitting here. 
<laughs> somebody's not listening to my instructions outside. I don't know if you can hear the little kid who's uh, joining the meditation. We have a two-year-old next door. He might just be celebrating Mother's Day, I'm not sure. Appreciating being born. And so as you sense, feel, become aware of your body sitting here. Be aware of whatever is predominant in the body, the temperature or the weight heaviness or lightness that's here, or the places where your body makes contact with the chair, or if your hands are on your knees where one part is touching the other. Or even the contact of your skin with the clothes or your skin with the air. And of course, many of us will be very familiar with being aware that the body is breathing all on its own. And it's very helpful to feel, sense, be aware of the breath, in-breath and out-breath. Then the next in-breath, the next out-breath. using the body and the breathing as a way to center, stabilize, ground ourselves here in the present moment of being alive. And for a few moments, letting everything else be in the background, 
thoughts, feelings, smells, tastes, touch. Let everything else be in the background except for the body and the breathing. Even my voice, even as you hear it, you can use the instructions, but let him be in the background as you're breathing and aware. One breath at a time, it's very, very, very simple. Just this breath. And when you feel stable, collected, composed here with the body and the breathing, and feel free to open up the space of awareness to include whatever is predominant in the totality of your experience, which may be some other sensation in the body an ache or pain or soreness. Sometimes people, as they get concentrated, feel like they're floating or there is no body. Or you may be aware of the process of emotions appearing, happiness or joy or sadness or irritation. And you can be aware of the process, letting it all happen on its own, not having to identify with it and not having to push it away. Or you may be aware of thoughts, some thoughts about the day and what's happened so far, thoughts about what I'm saying, and you can be aware of the process of thought happening on its own. Resting in the space of awareness in which 
each thing is known, whether it be sounds or smells or tastes or thoughts or feelings or some state of peace or opening or quiet or stillness or confusion, whatever it may be, we can start to rest in awareness and being aware of whatever is here. And of course, we can also be aware of the awareness itself. Trusting your own guidance here as the meditation continues, being with the openness or whatever is predominant in the foreground of your awareness, or if you wish, you can stay with the body and breathing. It's all good, all helpful, all beneficial. Our intention is simply to stay here, present, aware, awake. So if you're falling asleep, stand up, open your eyes, pick your head up. Don't just go with the sleepiness that may be happening. Yeah, be proactive in the meditation when you're sleepy. Yeah, standing up is really, really skillful. And if you're imbalanced, then you can uh, stand behind a chair and put your hands on the chair for balance. And be very kind to oneself. People often think when they're sleeping, it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just not what we're doing in meditation. Pay attention if you're attached to falling asleep rather than just falling asleep. Wherever you are, stay very present now here with what's true. Moment by moment by moment.
I'm not sure, Nina, maybe you know, um, somebody from the board is supposed to speak now? Or Eileen, do you know? Paul, do you know? Paul, do you know? You don't know. Okay. Uh, do you mean for Donna Talk? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm happy to. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> so, so hello, everyone. Part of what we practice is generating an open and, or excuse me, let me say, cultivating an open and generous heart. That's a big part of what our practice is. And for 2,600 years, that practice has supported and sustained the teachings of the Buddha to spread out throughout the whole earth. So we would invite you to share your generosity by supporting San Francisco Insight. We use the uh, money that is received to support all of the costs like Zoom and all of the things associated with uh, San Francisco Insight and to support our teachers by making a contribution to them as well. So we would invite you to share that generosity in a way that is uh, appropriate and consistent with your means and uh, your generous heart. And you can do that by going to our website and clicking on the donate button. So thank you for your generosity. Great. Thank you, Paul. Um, tonight, I am going to talk about the unhardening of the heart. But before I begin, I do want to appreciate all the mothers who may be here, or all the people who may have had mothers who are here, which is most of us. And I hope you can uh, find some warmth in your heart for your own mother and for the mothers all over the world everywhere that all people come from it's really a, a, a wild thing to give birth and i say that not having given birth in this body but i talked to my daughter's mother today and we were we were communicating about what the birth was like and it was just wild to be there while she was giving birth because especially she was squatting is how she gave birth she wasn't lying in a bed or didn't have her legs up in some device but she was squatting and uh and it was very intense and wild and then this human being comes out of her it was who's our daughter and you know and you know knock on wood, everything was fine. Uh, but it's just such an amazing thing that people birth other people and become mothers in that way. And you may have mixed feelings about your mother, which people do sometimes. Sometimes people love their mothers. Some people, sometimes people don't love their mothers or they're angry or there's issues. And, you know, that's all part of the deal. But, um, but it's still pretty wild that there is mothering at all 
like we could have come some other way, I assume. You know, I, I, I don't know, we could make it up, but somebody made up this way and here we are. So appreciating Mother's Day before I start, although it's connected what I'm gonna talk about, the unhardening of the heart, which I'm talking about for a number of reasons, but it's, and I've talked about it before, but I wanted to talk about it again because uh, 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 people, often ask me how I came to meditate. How did I get to meditation? You know, bigger question is how did I get to spiritual practice and to meditation? And it's really uh, related to recognizing how my heart had hardened as a young man. Uh, by the time I was 28, my heart had hardened. And I, uh, I was here in San Francisco and I was single at the time. And, uh, and I met a woman who was a friend, kind of a, a relative by marriage of uh, my friend Mo. And Mo introduced me to this uh, Yemenite Israeli woman, Arab Israeli woman uh, uh, named, uh, uh, Sila and Sila and I, you know, we kind of got together and had a little romance here in San Francisco, and that was really great. And then it's a long story, which you don't have to hear, but you know, she went, we went to LA together and things like that. And then she left and went on her trip because she was taking a trip to America for the first time. And at some point, I thought, uh, oh, I'll go visit Sila. And so I went to visit her without telling her I was going to visit her, meaning I went to Israel to visit her. And I'd never been to Israel, and I'm Jewish by birth, and I wanted to see what was Israel. And, and uh, you know, because uh, in some way, shape, or form, my people have come from that area of the world um, for, you know, I, don't, I can't remember how long, I think it's 5,000 years ago. When, when the Jews were in, uh, in that region of the world and started there. And so, um, and so I went to Israel and it was great to be in Israel just because it's a different world. I got out of my world. And so that opened up my heart and, and eyes in many different ways. And one of the things I did there was I celebrated what in Judaism is called the... Um, uh, it's the high holy days. It includes Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is where you atone, you have a day of atonement, and you atone for these different sins. And so I'm following, you know, along as the service is being held. And this one thing, this one sin struck me, and it was the sin of the hardening of the heart. And it popped out at me, you know, it's like a comic book, you know, how the, the type gets bigger, the font gets bigger when something big happens in a comic book. That's a little how it was for me as I was doing this service. And, uh, and I realized my heart had hardened and I didn't like that. I didn't want that to happen. And so 
Um, sometime later in Israel, I was in Jerusalem and I went to the Wailing Wall. And the Wailing Wall is, at least to my knowledge, and I'm not uh, thoroughly educated about this, probably the most holy place in Judaism. The Wailing Wall, it's technically called the Western Wall from an old temple that had been destroyed as, as the uh, Jews, whoever lived there, got conquered, which happened many times for Jewish people. And so the, the Wailing Wall is a very holy place and it's a big deal to go there. And they, I have a whole, you know, there was a lot of projection about it or, or not, not really knowing what, what it is. But all I know is you go to the Wailing Wall, people are praying, believe me, there are people all over the place praying all around you. And, um, you know, who are very Orthodox Jews, which I'm not or never was. But they were praying and doing their thing. And, you know, I just know you go up to the wall, you touch the wall. It's supposed to be a big deal. And so I thought, sure, I'll check it out. I'll put my hands on the wall. And you pray. And I didn't know how to pray particularly. But, you know, I just thought I could ask for whatever I wanted. You know, I could pray in that way. And... Um, and so the thing that had struck me in the trip about my life and what was real was this hardening of the heart. And so I asked at the Wailing Wall, what do I need to do to keep my heart from hardening? And the weird thing was, weird to me, even, even in that moment, was I got an answer. And that just seemed totally bizarre to me because I wasn't expecting an answer. I was like, oh, you just do this thing and see what happens. So I did the thing and I did my prayer, which is how can I keep my heart from hardening? And I got a message and the message was meditate. And it was like, not the message I wanted, just so you, to be clear. Because the, you know, I don't know what I wanted, but I didn't want meditate. I was not into meditation. I was not a spiritual guy, and I didn't like kind of, you know, what I would have called then hippy dippy, you know, spirituality at that time. I was, I was a little bit of thought of myself as a hipster and a musician and kind of bohemian and that kind of stuff, but I wasn't into meditating. And as I remember, it, my, my older brother did some kind of meditation, and that really turned me off to meditation because he it was just a little bit um, square is the word that we used to use then. And so, but I got them, I heard it, you know, I got it. I got this transmission at the Wailing Wall, which is just bizarre. And I, and I came back to San Francisco, and I asked around, um, for uh, where I could learn how to meditate. And somebody told me one place to go and I went and I learned something from this one guy who was kind of a new age guru type, which I hated. Uh, but, but shit started to happen in the meditation that was really wild. And so I stayed around this guy who was not Buddhist, but you know, he was, really more more of a new age kind of guy and but stuff happened so I stayed and then slowly uh, actually not so slowly but after about eight months I got kicked out of his group 
because he wanted people who were very devoted and I wasn't devoted in that way. And so, uh, and so, but I learned to really like meditating, meditating. So then, and I, so I asked around, where can I go meditate? And people said, oh, you can go to Zen Center for free. You can just walk in at 5.30 in the morning and go meditate. And it was perfect. I could go to Zen Center and go sit for 40 minutes facing the wall, which you do in Zen, and then I could leave. And I didn't have to relate to any of those those spiritual people because I wasn't into spirituality in that way. I just liked meditating. And and actually, I'd learned a lot quickly about meditating. Uh, and so, but the whole point of this story is meditation unhardened my heart. It worked. The message I got at the Wailing Wall worked. And I'm not saying, oh, if you, you know, if you want the right answer, go to the Wailing Wall and it'll be there. Who, who the hell knows how, what happened, really? But that's what happened for me. And so it's the question is a bigger question: is what helps your heart to unharden? And uh, and I was walking um, the other day, visiting with somebody who had been part of SFI for many years. She'd been on the board here and and uh, been part of it. And she, she still shows up periodically for a sip, but not regularly anymore. And and uh, we've become friends over the years. I've known her for 22 years now. And, um, and so we were taking a walk and uh, and we talked about the hardening of the heart. And she said that that had had a big impact on her because at some point as she was going through her life, she realized her heart had hardened and she didn't want that to happen. And so she made an intention to give five years to see how the heart could unharden. Her heart could unharden. And of course, when we talked, we talked about what had hardened her heart. And I'll say a little more about that in general, but it, part of it was because she's an Irish woman and, uh, and grew up in Ireland and both her parents were alcoholics. And we talked about that kind of dukkha that is part of Irish history that came out of being conquered by the English and the suffering that comes with the conquering of one people over another, which of course we know about in so many different ways, including the conquering of the native peoples in this land that we've, that America has been part of that kind of abuse and murder and uh, and the same with the racism that's part of this country's history and that we've, we all are dealing with because it's true. And, uh, and she, said, she said the intention she made with the uh, hardening of the heart really softened her and opened her heart. And, and the opening was a multiplicity of openings that happened where it wasn't just that her heart had opened or she'd gotten less hardened or less concrete, but also she started to see reality differently. And she started to see that even the words, because she'd heard me talk about the hardening of the heart many years ago, 
And she said, even those words, she started to see that those words, that teaching came from beyond me, from Buddhism, from the teaching of the Dharma, from being aware to what, of what's true, which Dharma means truth. And being aware of what's true started, for her, started to allow her to see the whole multiplicity of generations of teachings that came through for her, those words, the hardening of the heart. So for you, for all of us, I want to ask, what is it that, uh, how does one's heart harden? What's hardened your heart? And I'm assuming, I'm making assumption, I could be wrong, that your heart has hardened in some way, shape, or form in your life. And uh, almost like that's a normal thing that happens to hearts because of the sensitivity of human beings, of, of who and what we are, and, and the impressionability of who and what we are. And so, you know, when I was thinking about how does one's heart harden, it hardens because of hurt or pain or disappointment or betrayal or some kind of uh, something that feels intolerable. And so we have to shut off from it. And really the way my heart really hardened was it was the end of my marriage, first marriage which was, I was very young when we got married and she was very young, and, but I was very um, sincere in the marriage and devoted to the marriage. And when it ended, I was a little heartbroken. And, and, to, cut, and to deal with the heartbreak, I let my heart harden because I didn't ever want that to happen again, right? That was the reactivity that I experienced that covered the heart, that, that solidified the heart or, or hardened it. And so the heart hardening is used as a protection, as a way to protect our tenderness of heart or our, our vulnerability or the openness of heart that is inherent in all human beings. And all you have to do is look at a child and see how tender and open they are. I mean, child, I'm saying babies. They're so tender and beautiful and, and open to whatever's happening. And they feel it, right? They feel it. They feel what's in the alive in the room with them or how they're cared for. And we've all had, um, uh, we've all, experience that and meaning parenting doesn't mean you're perfect i'm not saying any parent is perfect but but good enough parenting allows the child to be themselves and and discover who and who and what they are and to grow up and develop and mature and so the kind of protectiveness we might feel from something that might have happened at home. If our parents were troubled or, uh, or had some kind of um, trauma that they were dealing with, like, like being conquered, like the Irish people were conquered by the English people, or different peoples all over the world who've been conquered and traumatized in that way. 
you know, but and to see our own heartbreak, whatever it may have happened. And for some people, it happens around uh, in family. For some people, it happens in school and socially in how we're treated or how we fit in or don't fit in to the social world that we're in, in school or in our culture or in the greater culture. And how do we, how do we deal with the barriers that happen, that cover the, the hardened heart or the broken heart or the tender heart? Rumi said, your task is not to seek for love, but to seek the barriers you have built against it. Your task is not to seek for love, but to seek the barriers you have built against it. And I believe all of us may have some barriers that we've built against this open heart. Really, it's the heart of love, of kindness, of care, of compassion, of joy, of equanimity, of the, of the Brahma Viharas, of the unbound heart. All right. Hmm. And so part of how we work with it is how we work with everything in our practice. We want to open to it, recognize it, be aware of the hardening of the heart or the constriction of the heart or the closeness of the heart that may be here any time. And that is um, often very familiar. It becomes egocentric meaning we feel safer with our heart closed than our heart open. And so beginning to recognize the closeness or the hardening and opening to the truth of it, if it's constricted or blocked, and then to see if we can feel the block, feel the closeness. You don't have to fix it. We can play with fixing it later, but just to feel the heart that's closed or hardened, that's tight or tough or angry or, or rigid. And notice when it happens and where it happens and with who, because it can, excuse me, it can happen anywhere. Even with people you love, it can happen where the heart closes or hardens. And so, and another way you can play with it is to f both feel the lived experience or to recognize it as if it's not your heart for a moment and just be aware of it. Like, how would you treat a little kid who has a hard heart, who comes to you and is hurt or, or angry or closed? How would you treat, you know, a child who's had their heart hurt, who's been, you know, betrayed or been left out or been uh, um, treated uh, Horribly, I'm actually thinking. It just came as I'm speaking with you. I'm really um, 
it's Mother's Day, so I've thought about my mother, who died many years ago, but, and my mom had her pluses and minuses, but she was definitely a good enough mom. But uh, when I think about her childhood and how, how um, difficult it was for her, because she was very poor, and she got treated very bad at school by teachers because of the clothes she wore, the shoes she wore, and the, because they had holes in them and things like that. And the kind of tightness that happens when we, when we receive that kind of treatment from others, that we want to be aware of that. And it's not easy to be aware of it and to just see how we feel. So, of course, how I feel towards my mother and the kind of dukkha or pain that she dealt with as a child is very kind and heartful, meaning warm, caring, and uh, really wishing it had never happened, even though that's the way it is sometimes, is that's what happens. And so the tenderness of heart can then respond to what causes the dukkha. And can we bring that tenderness to ourselves, first of all? Because our hearts have hardened for a reason. And you can all reflect now, if, if your heart, maybe I'm wrong, but if your heart has hardened, what was it that hardened your heart? And how do you work with it? How do you practice with it? The other word that comes up that's really, I think, important is that there's a vulnerability to open to the hurt or pain or trauma or difficulty that caused our hearts to harden. And vulnerability is an interesting word. I looked it up and from the Latin, it means the wound, vulnerable. I can't say the Latin word, I can't remember it, but it means wound. And I think that's really true, that the heart gets wounded and that our vulnerability means to open to the wound or to what's tender or difficult or painful. Hmm. Yeah, feeling the hurt so we can allow it to metabolize or be cared for by our kindness, by our own love, our own compassion, our own goodwill. And of course, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you if this has happened. The, I can't remember, Kabir, is he, he a Sufi poet or a Vedantic poet? Anybody know Kabir, Where he, what tradition he comes from? I think it's Sufi. Okay, thank you. Kabir, he said, wherever you are is the entry point. Wherever you are is the entry point. And of course, to me, that's just great dharma. Because this is the, what's true. Wherever we are is not a static point. It's not the end of what we are, but it's the beginning. It's the, it's the entry point to waking up and to realizing the potential of what's possible for each of us as human beings when our heart becomes unhardened. And sorry, that unhardenedness is a kind of uh, 
that vulnerability can bring a fullness or a completeness or a openness or purity of being here that is sometimes unfamiliar to us when our heart is open in that way. And it's part of the edge of practice for many of us to recognize our own goodness, our own goodness that's sitting right here in every seat I see. I don't know how many people are here exactly, about 50 people, yeah, and, and I mean the goodness is in every every little frame and I have a good Zoom so I get all 50 of you on at once. And it, but it's true, it's the, the goodness of what's here and, and I can see it actually whether you're feeling it or not, I'm not saying you're supposed to feel it, but it's here because it's like all those, if, if there were 50 babies here, you would all see the goodness of them. They're so amazing, babies. I mean, it's just wild when human beings are born. They're just like doing their thing and they're alive and they move around and they yell and scream and cry and smile and piss and shit. And they're, they're not inhibited <laughs> and, and they're not judging themselves for any of it. They're just doing their thing. And you just see the beauty of life. And of course that beauty is sitting here. Even though some of us, like myself, we've aged now. We don't look like babies anymore. And, but, but some of you do, not quite babies, but younger, you know, than me. And, and it is, there's something beautiful about life that Buddhism has always pointed at, the preciousness of human birth and this potential to really let our hearts open or be unbound. So if you want to play with the intention that my friend played with about how can you let your heart unharden? One of the things you can do is recognize what you care about or what you love or what delights you or what brings you joy or what opens your heart to compassion. And then you start to recognize not just what it is, maybe it's a beautiful flower, the, the Golden Gate Park is beautiful right now. And, so I walk in the park, it's beautiful. But actually I walk in the park all different times. Sometimes it's not beautiful and it's still beautiful, right? Because it's alive and it's real and it's in a real moment, right? And, but recognizing what you care about or what you love, then turn your attention not to what it is you care about or love, but to the heart that loves or the heart that cares because that's an unhardened heart and it's, and it's available to each of us. Bell Hooks said it this way. She said, a generous heart is always open, re always ready to receive our, go our going, to receive our going and coming. A generous heart is always open, always ready to receive our going and coming. In the midst of such love, 
We need never fear abandonment. This is the most precious gift true love offers, the experience of knowing we always belong. We always belong and turning to what's here, the, the liveness that's here that belongs. And you don't have to do anything. It's what she's pointing at, Bill Hooks. You don't have to do anything to belong. You already belong. And so to begin to love ourselves and let our hearts unharden, be open, be relaxed, is to begin to see who and what's here, right? Not just, not just what we don't like about ourselves, but the mystery and beauty of what's sitting here, the magic of what's here. And so we can, in the Dharma, we start to appreciate, enjoy, love the process of life that's here, that includes breathing, body, thoughts, feelings, sounds, smells, tastes, touch, and the consciousness that's aware of all of that, right? Sense all of you, just sense the consciousness that's aware of what I'm saying and what you're thinking and what you're feeling and what you're seeing. There's something more than the things we're seeing, where the things we're thinking, the things we're feeling. There's the awareness itself. And we can start to love the whole deal of it, really. Whether it's the compassion that arises from our vulnerability or the joy that arises in the delight of not just being mindful of each new moment, but starting to be aware that each moment of what's sitting here is new. Each moment is new. This is not the last moment of, whoever you were a moment ago is not this moment's, you know, Anne or Allison or Karen or Francisco or Eric or Michael. This is a new moment and it's a new aliveness that's aware of this moment. And so, As Rumi, I'm gonna combine Rumi and, and the Buddha who were good friends in another lifetime. Rumi said, love is nothing other than finding the truth. Love is nothing other than finding the truth. And that's why even finding the hardening of the heart starts to open it because we love the truth. And the Buddha said, the gift of truth is the greatest gift and the taste of truth is the sweetest taste, and the love of truth is the greatest love. And it's something that we're devoted to in practice. We're devoted to the Dharma, which means truth. And so, as Kabir said, wherever you are is the entry point. Hmm. I love the little poem from Basho, who said, the temple bell stops, the temple bell stops, but the sound keeps coming out of the flowers. The temple bell stops, but the sound keeps coming out of the flowers. 
it's a beautiful understanding of how magical reality is when we start to let go or relax or unharden. And then at least one more quote. Hmm. This is from uh, Nisargadat Maharaj, who was a great Indian teacher. And this is a uh, very famous saying that I've said many times here. He says, wisdom tells me I am nothing. Love tells me I am everything. Between the two, my life flows. Wisdom tells me I am nothing. Love tells me I am everything. Between the two, my life flows. And then this is what Sharon Salzberg had to say about that. She says, I am nothing does not mean there is a bleak wasteland within. It does mean that with awareness, we open to a clear, unimpeded space without center or periphery. Nothing separate. If we are nothing, there is nothing at all to serve as a barrier to our being, uh, to our boundless expression of love. Being nothing in this way, we are also inevitably everything. Everything does not mean self-aggrandizement, but a decisive recognition of interconnection. We are not separate. Both the clear open space of nothing and the interconnectedness of everything awakens us to our true nature. This is the truth we contact when we meditate, a sense of unity beyond suffering. It is always present. It's a nice teaching from Sharon. So I'm gonna end there. I'd like to leave time for us to talk any thoughts, feelings, observations, questions? Um, yeah, from anybody, I'm going to uh, please raise your hand. Use the participants button or the reactions button. And you'll, I think, yeah, in mine, it's on the reactions button right now. And, uh, and then I'll call on you. Uh, with an open heart and see what you have to say. And of course, I'd love to hear from anybody, but I also really appreciate if you've never spoken and you're shy, speak anyways. Don't be, don't be too shy. Okay, Diego, good, good evening. Good evening, good to see you again, Jane. Same, um, see you. Uh, oh, hold, on, hold on, I'm gonna, I gotta put it to you on speaker there. Okay, great, got it. Where does uh, resentment fit in all this? Pardon, where does resentment? Fit in uh, all of this. Thinking of a heart, heart and heart, just sort of uh, reflecting on, my own, <laughs> on my own self these days. So, so feel your resentment. Don't just be caught in, the, in what you resent. Feel the energy of the resentment itself. Can you feel that? What's it feel like experientially? Uh, well, uh, mentally or emotionally, it feels, I think it stems from, uh, I guess like you mentioned, like a betrayal or a disappointment. Right. Or I get I that. Expectations and it didn't, right. it didn't come 
come true, I suppose. Right. So when I'm saying feel it, you're still talking about it. And you're talking about what causes it. But how do you experience, and I'm just pointing at you in this way, how do you experience experience it somatically, kinesthetically, energetically, what we call resentment? I get what made you resentful. How do you experience the actual life, aliveness of the resentment? I mean, I, I, I just choose to keep my distance from these people. I, I get what you do, but you're still not telling me. See, I wanna, I'm pushing you in a direction <laughs> to feel the actual energy of resentment. Well, I, I'm, 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 it's not a pleasant feeling. It, it may not be, but what is the feeling that's not pleasant? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I'm following. I mean, yeah, okay, here, let me, I'll give you an example. So let me think about something I resent, which isn't that much these days. Yeah, that's not a good one for me. I don't have a lot of resentment, but I get, I get, like, I get uh, irritated at bad drivers in San Francisco. That's my big thing. And what happens is I watch my body contract, actually. It's not just like I, I have a lot of thoughts. You guys don't fucking don't know how to drive. What's the matter with you? You're in the wrong lane. You're turning and blah, blah, blah. I have a lot of thoughts. But, but while I'm having the thoughts, something happens somatically, kinesthetically. And I feel tight, actually, and angry. And like you can even see, like my hand goes like that. It's got its own life, the anger, like I get angry. So, and that's what I'm pointing you at, is what is the life of the resentment? How do you experience that? Because then you get more intimate with the actual experience of resentment, not the causes or not the reactions, but the actual aliveness of it. Does that make sense, more sense now? I think so. Yeah, I, I, I tend to raise my voice. I want to shout. Yeah. I want to feel the energy where the shout comes from. That's what I'm pointing at. Because there's like, there's something here, right? Where the, because, you know, it's, it's like, where the hell does that come from? And feel that. Because okay. then you start to have a different relationship to the whole experience, which will then include the thoughts, feelings, reactions, and you won't, you might not be as bound to the whole story of it when you start to metabolize the aliveness of it. Okay. Okay. It's pretty play. heavy. I've got to marinate on it. Yeah. Play with it and yeah. see what happens. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Good to see you. Oop. Okay. And now I switch back and forth from from speaker view to gallery view. Who's next? Oh, there we go. Amy. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Hi, Amy. Okay. You can still hear me, right? Uh, pretty good, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll zoom in a little. So um, this goes back to your vulnerability and wound. 
point that you're making. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this book, and I don't remember the exact title, but it's the, the gist is the five, the five regrets of the dying, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. And I believe, and from my memory, the top regret was um, something like, I wish I had been myself, or I wish I had been true to myself. Maybe it was the top the top regret i mean then it goes like i wish i wish i didn't work so much and you know i wish i didn't lose connection with my friends that sort of thing but the top one was some form of authenticity which i thought was interesting Uh and so um so um so vulnerability and the authentic self right or or, or even if we talk about the last comment and being willing to feel Uh um willing to be vulnerable Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have a direct question, but do you have a riff on that about like th- tapping into the authentic self or, or, or being able to be with that wound? Well, I think being with the wound, the hurt, the pain allows our authenticity to come forward. Cause we're being, first of all, we're just being authentic with ourselves about what's true, about what's here. Like for me, it was the hardening of the heart, which I didn't want that, but that's what was here. And it was really, uh, it was like, yeah, and I didn't know what to do about it. So I was also authentic about that. And so I did something I never do, which is I prayed because I was at the Wailing Wall. I mean, it was just a, you know, an odd set of circumstances, causes and conditions which then allowed for me to get some understanding of what might help the hardening of the heart. And like my friend who I mentioned before, she said she spent five years with the intention to not let her heart harden. And she said what was amazing was it worked, you know, and she didn't have just one thing. And so your own relationship to your vulnerability is an opening to that which is not easy brings authenticity and then you get to see what's true for amy and what's needed and what's right and then you get to act from that right whatever it may be even means getting angry sometimes or going away sometimes or whatever it takes but how can we be how can Amy be compassionate with Amy for whatever hurt or pain or, you know, trauma that she's had to deal with. Does that make sense for what you're asking about? Yeah, just yeah. T- basically tapping into the authentic self so I don't get to the place where that's one of my re- regrets. Before yeah, I yeah. No, you want to, and so that's why the Dharma is so beautiful because of, and I said, I keep saying this because it's so important. Dharma means truth. Right, and so what's true brings the authenticity. Right, it's you can't have authenticity without truth, at least in my understanding. And so you know, here um, I mean this isn't really a, a difficult thing, but it's you know I'm short, you know, and it's true. And sometimes I wish I'm like. I wish I would, I would see some guy who's like six foot four and I'm like, 
I don't even know what that reality is like, <laughs> you know, really, and it's funny. But <laughs> yeah, when I was young, it was difficult, right? Because I was little and I looked young and all this stuff. And I mean, there's so many things, you know, but and it's, and of course, um, and being real with that is makes it light. I mean, we can both laugh about it because it's just true. <laughs> you know, it's not. I mean, I guess I could get new legs or something, but I'm not that sophisticated, really. And so, and it would look too weird to have long legs and a short tor torso, or, right? And so we can then laugh about things because we're real about it. And that's the, I think that's one of the most important things for all of us. Can we be real and can we be real together? And that's, that takes a little more practice, the real together, but we got to start here. Right. Can, we, can we, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't that go full circle back to the heart, like courage? I mean, that's going back to the heart. Yeah, totally. And for people who don't know, the word courage comes from the word heart in and uh, yeah, it's beautiful. And yeah, and it takes courage. And it also takes sometimes, depending on who one is, right? For some of us, courage may be, or for some of us, it might be faith or devotion or um, dedication or love or whatever it is. Trust. Trust. Yeah, beautiful. That's a beautiful word. And that's a beautiful thing that many of us don't have is trusting ourselves. And, and you want to trust yourself, even if you make a mistake, because then you have the trust of the authenticity, right? And, and being with one, what's true means that you can also apologize for any mistake you make, if you need to apologize. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're, you're good at this. <laughs> uh, I've been doing it a while and, and doing it a while. Thank you for your <laughs> kind word. But doing it a while means I've been doing this for a while. Yeah. Right. And this has had all the dukkha that people can have, you know, happy, sad, good, bad, right, wrong. You know, and sometimes people like me or appreciate what I say. Sometimes they don't, believe me. It's part of what it takes to be a teacher is to be okay with both. And that's a bigger question about, or that's a bigger component of what happens when the heart relaxes, is the paradox of reality is not personal. Because it is, it's a wild ride being a human being and it's very paradoxical right birth and death i mean what bigger paradox is that right i mean you know i was born from someone my mom who's not here anymore like where the hell did she go right and you know i'm not saying that in a negative way but it's just wonder of like birth and death, and that we all, you, I, everybody here will be gone at some point. And that's just part of the deal. And what happens as we start to rest in this heart that is not hardened? Thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay. Now back to...
Oh. oh, Dorothy. Hi, Dorothy. Hi. Hi. Um, this is a little different um, topic. Sure. Um, it's okay. My friend Faye, who comes here, has been coming here for quite a long time. Yes. Um, and she's too sick right now. Her sound sensitivity is so high that she can't be on the phone to listen. Yeah. For a while now. And I just wanted to bring her into the room. Great. Um, I've been texting with her and she said lonely a little while ago. And I said, is it okay if I bring you into the room and ask everyone to just yeah. hold her, I guess, to send her softening of the heart, to send her caring. Yeah, great. Great, great, great. And Faye, I'll just give a little more context. Faye has been part of this group for many years, was on the steering committee board for many years. And I talked to her recently. And yeah, she's having a hard time with her, with a very unique kind of uh, uh, physical difficulty of being overly sensitive to the senses. Right. And that's really unique. And we're still trying to understand what that is and what's needed. And the doctors are trying to help her. And, uh, and, but it hasn't been easy. And it especially hasn't been easy given COVID for this past year and her being alone. And, uh, yeah, and so great. Thank you for bringing Faye into the room and everybody in whatever way you're comfortable, center your kindness, love, compassion, warmth, appreciation, or just good wishes, whatever it may be. All of that's helpful. So thank you. Great. And say hi for all of us when you text there. Okay. Mm. Who else? Ali. You're just old school. You just raise your hand, bro. Yeah, I know. It's okay. Hi, Eugene. Thank you for your teaching. The topic uh, of courage came up and they, as they were speaking. Uh, and then, uh, so I was just reading in the APA uh, study that uh, folks who have gotten like both vaccines mm -hmm. are still not able to fold back into the society because of maybe the habit of the past year or whatever it is. So I, I, th I mean, including myself fully, you know, fold back in even with the full vaccination. So mm -hmm. I am uh, wondering if you can share a few thoughts on the courage. I think that's like the antidote to, to the fear and, you know, just going forward with uh, whatever the new situation is. Thank you. Okay. Well, here's, couple things. One is first, be aware of the fear. It's just fear. Is it true? Whatever the fear is saying, oh, I can't go in because I'll get sick or because something happened or because something didn't happen. And so 
not believing our emotions, feeling them, but not believing them is very important. Feeling them and being aware of them is very skillful. And, you know, and uh, yeah. And so, and then, and then really looking, discerning clearly what's, what should I be cautious about and what shouldn't I be? So I'm going to travel for the first time in uh, June, July. I'm going to visit, we're going to visit our daughter. And, um, and, uh, and so I was just reading today about what they're saying about traveling and how to travel carefully and cautiously, even though I'm totally vaccinated, because that's what they're still suggesting. And so, you know, and even, and even, even going out these days, like I'm not wearing a mask all the time, depending on where I'm going. If other people are around, I'm wearing a mask out of respect for them because I'm not worried personally, because I'm vaccinated. Now that could be my ignorance. Maybe I'll get sick anyways with some variant, but I, I, don't, I don't think so for me. And everybody has to make those kind of discernments for themselves and then act on them. And sometimes it'll take courage and sometimes, you know, it's just the courage to trust your own intelligence. Right? and do what's true for you. And in that way, as Amy was saying, be authentic and be real and see what, what is appropriate and what's not appropriate and go from there. Yeah, and, and we'll all see, we're all learning how to do it. This whole COVID-19 illness has taught us something about... Um, how collectively we're all learning how to do it as we go. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, who's that? Francisco, you gotta be quick, we're almost done. Okay, go. Okay. Uh, nice to see you, Eugene. Eugene. Good, good to see you, glad you're awake now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you, when, when you were talking, you said a line that goes something like <clears throat> uh, the interconnection uh, of everything. And so, right. Yeah. Did you, you, did you get it from, from my book? I don't know where I got it. It's from Sharon Salzberg. <laughs> she says, she says, uh, being nothing in this way, we are in also inevitably everything. Everything does not mean self-aggrandizement, but a decisive recognition of interconnection. We are not separate. <coughs> yeah. So what you I might do if you want to find this, Francisco. Okay is Google Sharon Salzberg and quoting uh, the gr great Indian teacher Nizagadat Maharaj, because that's how she starts it, with quoting him. Okay. <coughs> okay, and then, you know, let me know if you find it. I will. Thank yeah. you. Eugene, how do you spell the teacher's name? Oh, Nizagadatta? Mm -hmm. N-I-S-A-R-G-A-D-A. T-T-A, and Amy said to everyone, I am that is his book. 
Okay. Yeah, and he's a great teacher who Jack Cornfield studied with personally. Jack said it was the most awake person he ever met. And he's wow. not a Buddhist. Wow. Yeah, there it is. Okay, Ali's got the book. Okay. I am that. I am that. Thank, oh, thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Ali. But the quote you want is from is from Sharon Salzberg. Okay. 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 Okay, everybody. We'll take a minute, do a little sharing of merit before we end. And just to say I'm not here next week, Pamela Weiss is here. Offering our good wishes, our kindness, our care, and our appreciation of what's here, that our, we can practice in this way. May the goodness of our practice go out in every direction, touch beings in every realm, and soften the hearts of beings in whatever domain of reality they find themselves. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, from misunderstanding, from the hardening of the heart. May all beings have a heart filled with love, kindness, care, compassion, joy, equanimity. May we all wake up, wake up together. May all beings be free. Thank you everyone. Good to see you, be with you. Take good care. And I'll see you, I think in two weeks I'm back. Yeah, okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.